You've heard that, right? And um, I, I, I've been thinking about a different phrase that I think is just as true. You are what you watch. Uh, I think if I had a week of seeing all of the stations you watch, and, and all of us have like those few channels that we repetitively go back to, or if I watched your website usage, I would know a lot, an awful lot about you. You would know an awful lot about me. So I'm going to tell you, if you were to look at me for a week, especially television channels, uh, I, I, I go to the same channels. There's going to be sports channels, right? I got to be on ESPN and uh, NBC Sports Network, and I'll be on those channels some, right? I'll be on the history channels to learn about uh, what's going on before. That just fascinates me and interests me. I'll, I'll be on National Geographic and Discovery because uh, I love nature shows. I love learning about animals. Uh, if there's a documentary about the animals of Australia, I am there. There's some weird stuff down in Australia and in New Zealand and Tan, uh, not Tanzania. What's that place called? That little island. It is Tanzania, isn't it? Tasmania, that, the Tasmanian devil. Now that's, there's a show about them things, man. I'm telling you, I'm getting off. Okay, so the stock channels, CNBC and Bloomberg, I'll be watching those. Uh, I'll be keeping up with that. It's a hobby of mine. And then uh, the reason I'm dressed like this today, uh, probably my default channel is 754 on our cable station, which is Food Network. I mean, like Food Network. Let me tell you where that started. Now, you might say, well, why didn't you talk about uh, listening to sermons? I don't listen. I don't watch TV preachers. I watch some preachers online and listen to sermons online, but I just don't like any of the TV preachers. Sorry, I just don't. So that's me. But Food Network. So in the early 90s, uh, I'm just kind of scattered today. Maybe it's the hat. Uh, in the early 90s, the there was a show called Pasquale's Kitchen. Now, I was in uh, a place, a church, where I was miserable. And you know, when you're in ministry, you can't tell anybody when you're miserable or hate your job. Uh, And I was miserable. In fact, I would get up early in the morning. I was in Atlanta. I'd go to church up in downtown Atlanta and then come back and do my job at the church. I was that, I was just miserable. And so I had to have something to do to to invest myself and to get in, to do something different. And so I got into watching Pasquale's Kitchen on PBS now, Pasquale was a, a Toronto uh, Italian-born chef. He was trained in opera, but he also was a great Italian chef. And, and so he had this show, and I was, I was home with Bo in the early afternoon while Beth was doing her part-time job. And, and so I always would have to watch. Two o'clock every afternoon, a weekday afternoon, I watched Pasquale's Kitchen. Now, Pasquale was funny. Uh, he had these sayings. He, he would drain his pasta. He always had pasta, and he would say, excuse my back. Every time. He was, but he wore a toque blanche like this and a, a full apron. Um, he, was, uh, he was something else. And you can actually look. I, I looked at some episodes, some clips this week on YouTube. You want to watch something funny and entertaining and also educational, watch that. And that became my love of cooking. I, I got into it. You know, with me, I'm all or nothing. I got into cooking, and so that's been a hobby of mine ever since. I love to cook. And so when I came here in 2006, I told... Uh, everybody, when I interviewed, that I, that was one of my hobbies was cooking. And so Gary Curtis bought me this cooking bib and this toque blanche. And uh, I don't get to wear it very often, so I thought I might wear it today. No, it's not just for fun. 
because the re whole reason I started thinking about cooking was because I was thinking about how important small groups are to the life of the church. And I was thinking about how important small group leaders are to the life of the church. I see Bo back there. I'm glad Bo likes to cook. You know why? Because at Pasquale, he would be cooking long and he would just break out into song. And he was, you know, oh, mio. And Bo would run away. I'm telling you. I think Pasquale scared him, but both cooks today, I'm glad he didn't get scarred for life by me watching Pasquale. So anyway, small group leaders, that's what I want to talk about today. I will tell you, I think the number one hurdle we have in making more disciples in this place, now that we're building a new building, we have a lovely facility, we're increasing our physical capacity, the number one hurdle we're going to have is the number of people who will sacrifice, the number of people who will step up and lead a small group. It can be daunting. It can be challenging, but I am making no bones about it. I think in 2017, we must get out of our comfort zone. We must have more people step up and lead small groups. I think about cooking because I think there's a lot of analogies there. I think in cooking, you know, working, the one size doesn't fit all. Uh, different cooks cook in different ways, right? They, they have different styles. They make different things. They, some use recipes, some don't. Uh, some have different styles, but that's, it's kind of like that in working with people. I also think it's challenging working with people, just like unexpected things have when you're cooking. I, I think it's vital for us uh, to, to think about and understand what we're getting into with small group leadership. And I think there's no better place to go to figure out small group leadership, to think about it, than looking at the style of Jesus, looking at what Jesus did. See, there are a couple things that absolutely have to be part of every small group leader, the Christian leader, the maker of disciples. You have to follow and be walking with Jesus yourself. You have to be true to the words of Jesus. But the way you do it, uh, if you have those two things, uh, the way you do it varies, okay? And so that's what I want to look at today is the first small group leader. Now, I say to you, there, Jesus could have used any methodology he wanted for establishing his kingdom. But his choice was to take some men, 12 men. His choice was to take 12 men and to pour into them for three years, to, to live life with them to share life with them, to teach them, and to pray with them, and to then set them loose when he went back to the Father after his crucifixion and resurrection. That was his plan. So it seems to me that that's probably his plan for us today in the church. And Jesus was that first small group leader. So I'm going to use various scriptures today, and we're going to talk about the first small group leader, and we're going to talk about four principles that Jesus modeled for effective group leadership? That's the question I want to answer. How did Jesus model effective group leadership? Now, I want you to know that I am, I'm asking you to wrestle with the Spirit as I begin this. I'm asking you to hear about Jesus and to think about how God might use you going forward. The first principle we see here is he invited them. He invited them those people to his small group, those people to working with him, 
uh, they became disciple makers themselves, and that's always God's plan. It's the cycle. Uh, someone disciples us, and then we grow up. It's not enough just for us to be a receiver. We grow up then to make disciples ourselves. It's the mission. It's to lead people to Jesus and equip them to follow him. It's to make and multiply disciples. And we see that. Now, I work on sermons throughout the week. I have to turn in my outline by Wednesday at noon. And I did this week. And, and as I pray and think of the rest of the days, sometimes I, I add some stuff. And, and that's what happened. I'm going to start not in Luke 5, 27 and 28. I want to start with Luke chapter uh, 5, verse 1. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to it. If not, just listen carefully uh, to what I read to you. Because this sees Jesus' first invitation uh, to one of his disciples. And, and some of the, the facts surrounding that I want to show you. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will lay down the nets. You know, I always, when I read scripture, I want to get into the scene and think about, <laughs> don't you know Simon's like rolling his eyes? I put down the nets again. He probably went, <gasps> you know, like teenagers do with you all the time, right? Or your wife does. Well, yeah, okay. So Simon answered, Master, we worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll put down the nets. He was willing to follow. He was willing to take a chance. He was willing to step out of his comfort zone. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. In other words, he surrendered. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Peter, James, and John became the three closest disciples to Jesus, the three leaders in a revolution that would change the world, the birth of the church. And this is how it began because they were invited by Jesus. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. You will be a fisher of men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. How amazing is that? But they saw that this was part of something that was life-changing. This was part of something that was transformational. And I would say the same thing to you today. A relationship with Christ can transform your life. It can transform your future. It can have a great influence on all the people around you. And even more, the folks that will step out and lead others, invite others, bring others alongside. You see, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have it all together to be a small group leader. You just need to be in love with Jesus. You need to be a little farther along than the people you're leading. And a lot of that invitation is not by word, it's by the way you interact, right? If you come across to people like you're better than them, they don't want anything 
that you're dealing with. You come across people like you're judging them. They don't want to be around you. It's vital for us to remember that all of us are sinners saved by grace. And because you're a sinner does not mean you cannot be in ministry. Because you're a sinner does not mean you cannot lead others. Again, walking with Jesus and faithful to the word, both in what you know and how you live it. Those are the two qualifications for small group leadership. And any of us can do it, especially if we'll do what they did. They left the world. They left the fleshly pursuits and they put as a priority following him. Now to the passage that we have for you down in Luke 5, a little farther down, verse 27, 28. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi, we know him as Matthew, got up, left everything and followed him. Now you need to know that Matthew was a tax collector who that was probably the most hated uh, job in the whole Holy Land. For they were representatives of Rome. They took money from people on behalf of Rome, and often many of them were dishonest. Many of them, they abused their position. They were hated. It's very intentional that Jesus goes to a tax collector. Again, nonverbal communication of his invitation nonverbal communication of that all are welcome, all can be used in the kingdom. All can serve in the kingdom. And he brings Matthew, who wrote the gospel of Matthew, he brings Matthew to the point where Matthew says, I will take a chance, I will step out of my comfort zone, I will leave everything and follow you. I will serve you. I will be a minister for you. He invited them, first principle. Second principle he invested in them. Jesus invested in them as an effective group leader. Matthew 5, 1 and 2. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He began to teach them. Why did Jesus walk and talk with them? Why? It's always part of small groups that we don't just gather together to shoot the breeze. We don't just gather together to hang out. Uh, they're always, in our small groups, there's always Bible study. Now, it's often, uh, a lot of our groups do what we call uh, sermon questions. I send out sermons, uh, or questions based on the sermon of the day, and, and the group meets together and dis- discusses them. They look at the scripture more in depth, and they, they talk. The small group leaders are often facilitators there. We also have on Sunday mornings what we call Bible study groups. Those function more like uh, a, a teaching inductive or deductive type teaching method but both of those are important and and Jesus invested in his disciples as a small group leader by by bringing them to the truth of God's word by helping them to focus on God's word that's what we need from our teachers as well that's vital to our small groups another part of this principle of his investment look what it tells us in Luke 11 one one day Jesus was praying in a certain place When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray uh, just as John taught his disciples. And from that time, I am sure Jesus and his disciples prayed often. Uh, We get the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, from what Jesus followed with there. But I am confident that Jesus prayed often with his disciples. And so it's the same thing with our small groups. Our small group leaders need to be able to pray with others. 
Our small group sessions should feature prayer together. There's study of the word, there's prayer, there's sharing of life, there's accountability. Those things can only really happen in a small group setting. In our worship service, it's one person praying at a time, usually. It's not everybody being engaged, and that's what happens best. In those small groups, Jesus modeled that. He taught them from the Word. He taught them how to pray. I'm sure they had Bible discussion, and that we, we see a lot of those discussions uh, counted, recounted for us, and then they prayed together. That's what happens in these groups of disciple-making we call small groups. Third principle, he cared for them. He cared for them. One of the most important qualities. Then he got into the boat. This is from Matthew 8, 23 to 25. Then he got into the boat, Jesus, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went, I'm always amazed by that. He was sleeping through this big storm. Uh, Beth would tell you, that's me. I sleep through anything. And once I get to sleep, uh, but maybe you do, maybe you don't. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. Now, the analogy is very clear for me. There are storms that come into each of our lives. There, no doubt, in a group this size, many of you are in a storm of some kind, financial, relational. There are storms. And I'm going to say to you, in a given six-week period, we probably have anywhere from 15 to 1,700 people that come to our church in a six-week period at least once. There is no way that I can walk through the storm with all of you or any of our ministers can. Our small group leaders are vital. And I'm saying to you, we have way too many small groups for a church our size, and the main bottleneck is because we don't have enough people who have yet. Remember, 2017 could be a year where anything happens. We don't have enough people who have yet said, I will try that. I will try to be a small group leader. And this caring is something you do in a group. You care for one another. I love it when I go to the hospital and a person's small group has already been there to see them or their leader has called them and prayed with them. That is something all of us can learn to do. If you're available, if you're teachable, if you're faithful, you can lead a small group. Jesus calmed the storm. Now, we're, none of us are like Jesus. We can't make everything better. But it sure helps if when you're going through a storm, you have others that will walk with you. You have others that will comfort and console and encourage you. And any of us, any of us could do that as a small group leader, as a minister to others. Mark 6, 30 through 31 says this, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by myself, by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. You know, our small groups should function as a haven. They should function as an environment uh, of safety, an environment of acceptance. Uh, that's what can be. As we multiply our small groups, I think it will have a tremendous effect on people's well-being. 
you know, I want our small groups to model what we are about as the big C in this big congregation. I've always wanted us to be a healthy place, a place that for people that are recovering from Christian abuse. That happens. I know because I've talked to a lot of folks in the 11 years I've been here, folks who have had bad experiences in other places, other churches, and they come scarred and beaten up and we want to be a place where there's not judgment we want to be a place where there's acceptance where there there's a place where we're all working together to be more like him our small group leaders create those same environments just like jesus did he sees to the physical needs of his disciples for rest for refreshment so also our small groups kind of become those havens those places of refuge for folks to to get fueled up and to go back out into the world. The fourth principle Jesus modeled was he served with them. He served with them. Look at what it says in Luke 8, 1. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him. You maybe have skipped over that in the past, but notice that Jesus not only led them, but he served with them now later he would send them out two by two in fact that passage we just read it was after they came back from one of those times but he would serve with them he not only would say you need to minister but he would minister right along minister and service mean the same thing and i've told you before i will tell you again god calls all of us to ministry to service for him i believe the happiest people are serving people the happiest christian is a serving christian We've had our groups uh, that go out and serve together. What camaraderie builds? You think about it. If you were ever in the military, you developed a closeness with those you served with. You were on a sports team, you went through the battles together, the games, the practices together, you develop a camaraderie. Same thing happens in a group of Christians that serve together, that, that face challenges, common challenges together. And that leader has to be in the front lines, not just saying go serve but modeling that service jesus did that he was preparing them for what was to come and i would say to you and i want to close with perhaps the supreme example of that and i want to draw to conclude close what i'm saying by asking you to think about what jesus asked his disciples then to do and what i think he has said to me through the holy spirit we need to ask of all of us to do it was just before this is john 13 again another passage that came to mind after i'd already turned in the outline so it's not in on the screen it's not in your bulletin uh, but john 13 it was just before the passover feast jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave the world this world and go to the father having lo- loved his own who were in the world he now showed them the full extent of his love The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. He knew it was time for him to be crucified and then resurrected. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin, a, a container, and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel 
that was wrapped around him. Now, listen, this was a nasty job. You think about it. No pavement, people walking around in mud and dirt, and their feet had to be nasty. But Jesus washed his, even Judas, who would betray him and hurt him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize what I'm now doing, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter. <laughs> I love Peter. He's always putting his foot in his mouth, right? Uh, he, he gives me comfort, right? He always is, no, you shall never wash. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then impulsive Peter. Then Lord Simon Peter said, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. He goes from not anything to everything, right? Again, he encourages me. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you, because he knew who was going to betray him. And that's why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked him, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. Now, he's not saying right now because he's already washed their feet. He's saying this needs to become a way of life, serving one another. I have set you as an example that you should do as I've done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things... You will be blessed if you do them. He's saying, if you hear this call and you're willing to sacrifice your life by serving each other in my name, then you'll be blessed. Now I say to you today, we don't need foot washers. But a great equivalent, I think, is people who are willing to sacrifice, who are willing to step out of their comfort zone and say, yes, I will take on leading a small group. Yes, I will sacrifice. And let me tell you, just like it was tough there, Jesus washing Judas' feet, it's not easy leading a small group. I'm not painting a rosy picture. Sometimes people uh, turn on you. Sometimes People reject you. Sometimes a group kind of implodes. But that is no reason not to step up. That's no reason not to pour yourself into making disciples. And the, one of the best ways you can do that is to take on leading a small group. Let me say to you today, these next three weeks, we are setting the tone for this year. We believe for Northside to be what God has intended for us to be, for us to make and multiply more and more people. We are going to have to multiply our groups. And that means we have to have people step up. I'm going to say to you, if you have a desire to do that, but you need to be taught and trained, I want you to sign up at the table back at the foyer. If you've prayed and sensed that's God wants, what, what God wants you to do, I want you to sign up and we'll teach you and train you. Maybe others of you are ready. You know you're ready, but maybe you haven't stepped up yet for whatever reason. 
if you feel God's conviction, if you hear God saying, it's time, then I want you to sign up. If you'd be willing to host a community group in your home, there's a place for you to sign up. If you're stirred but still have questions, call us. We'll talk to you. We'll help you. But we, we need some folks to follow the method, the model of Jesus. I think small group leadership's a lot like cooking. But you're not just making a meal that'll be eaten one time. You're bringing the bread of life to change lives. You're not just talking about Jesus. You're modeling Jesus. You're investing in. You're sacrificing. You're loving others. See, that's why I think if you want to wash feet today, you'll lead a small group in the name of Jesus. And did you hear what he said, verse 17? If you do these things, you will be blessed. You do these things, you'll be a blessing. Fathers, we think today we've heard your voice. I know you want to work in us, but maybe up until this time we haven't been willing. Maybe we have been insecure and think we can't do this. We're not good enough. That's not true. Any of us, any of us can be changed and grown by you to serve. Maybe others of us, we're comfortable where we are. I I pray you'll make us uncomfortable to know that your kingdom needs us. Maybe we've taken a break from leading. I pray that break time as you lead us by your spirit might be over. In a supernatural way, I pray for you to raise up and multiply the leaders in this place so that we might reach as many as we can for you. These times are desperate. I pray that you'd work, you'd move with us and help us to step up and sacrifice. Help us to figuratively wash feet by investing in modeling and disciple-making others. I pray it in Jesus' name.